0: Okay, we're going to put in today at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Um, Mike Tyson, the former heavyweight champion of the world, um, observed one time... Well, you know a sermon's going to be weird when it starts out with a quote from Mike Tyson, right? <laughs> well, let's just get that off the deck. Okay, so Mike Tyson... Um, I remarked one time, you know, the guy that had been in a lot of fights, since, he, he said this. He said, everyone has a fight plan. Everyone has a fight plan until they get hit. And that's the way it is with blows, right? If you've ever gotten a blow on a head, it kind of disorients you and all the things that you thought you knew where they went, they, they don't. And blows cause us to lose our bearing, bearings. And, and so what we're, what we're coming out of or our or, or launching place this morning is the great persecution that arose in Jerusalem after the martyrdom of Stephen. It was disorienting. It was a blow. And um, Saul, who could best be, uh, I think, described as a terrorist at this point, was going from house to house, it says, on a kind of a search-and-destroy mission for Christians. And so they were scattered out. Well, what had happened? What had happened to to God's plan? That's a good question. I mean, after all, hadn't Jesus promised that, uh, you know, that He had overcome the world? And hadn't He promised His disciples... That the gates of hell would not prevail against this church? I mean, wasn't that the plan? And now there was persecution and they were scattering. And that's where we pick up today. Now, believers are being forced out of Jerusalem. And I I think at that time, uh, based on what everybody was expecting, that this uh, this beginning time, this this spreading out of the church, didn't look like anybody thought it was going to look. As a matter of fact, it looked like it was going south. But on the other hand, Jesus had promised his disciples too that they would be persecuted and hated because of him. And that they would go to the far flung corners of the earth. And and, and I don't know about you, but there's a a tension there between Jesus promising that the gospel was going to overcome the world, and yet there was also a promise of opposition to it. And I think that that's a tension that every Christian observes every day in their own life and in their own ministry and whatever opportunities that you have with the gospel seems like sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back.
1: The blows
0: come one after the other. And I think most of us, for honest, would be hard-pressed to say in our day-to-day lives, that we see the progress of the gospel. And sometimes it's discouraging. I think there's a there's a Christian writer that wrote a song um, that tears me up every time I think about it. His name is Andrew Peterson. The name of the song is, Is He Worthy? And it's an unusual song in that it asks a question. In other words, the, the, the song leader sings a line and asks a question and the congregation responds with, uh, with a response, and the response is, we do. So as I read these questions, that I think kind of captures the idea of the conflict and, the, and, the, uh, and, and what we walk through on a day-by-day basis, if you want to, you can answer, we do. The first question is this. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know... That all the dark can't keep the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Let's read. Picking up in verse 4. Chapter 8. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the, the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as, he, as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man, Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the small to smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that, when Simon saw that the spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well. So that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, I think it's helpful, especially here, but in, in pretty much any Bible text, to ask a question as, why is this here? Uh, I, I think one of the main reasons that the Holy Spirit has included this section is so we might better understand how the gospel and the kingdom of God advance. What does it look like? It looked like it was off to a bad start with the scattering and the persecutions. But what are the tools and the tactics that God uses? The story is about people. It's about Philip, it's about the Samaritans, it's about Simon, it's about Peter and John. But if we back up and look at this from more like ten thousand feet, we see what this is is it's a story of kingdoms in conflict. It's a kingdom of God advancing against the kingdom of Satan. And I think it's important for us to understand how that happens to see that it is happening because it is relentlessly happening, whether we see it or not. And the importance of us seeing that is so we will trust God and love Him and obey Him. So how does God's kingdom advance? There's some really encouraging things in here. The first one that we see in verse 4 says "They they, they were scattered and those who were scattered went about preaching. God's kingdom advances by opposition. God's kingdom advances by opposition. Now, that's not very intuitive for us. We think opposition stops things. I played team sports pretty much all the way through college, and I never played for a coach who was able to make the opposition help our offense. Never happened. But we see here that God uses opposition to propel the gospel forward. It's actually the persecution that did that. David remarked in Psalm 119, he says, All things, God, are your servants. God uses everything and everyone to serve his purpose, including opposition. Persecution, severe persecution, bloody persecution, was what launched the church. And even that opposition couldn't slow down the advancement of God's kingdom. There was a guy in the fourth century who was a pope, and he said, You're not going to hear popes quoted very often here, but this guy's name was Leo the Great. I like that name Leo the Great. And Leo the Great said this, because there was a lot of per- persecution at that time. He said a religion that's founded on the mystery of the cross cannot be destroyed by any form of cruelty. I mean, if, 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 if the Christian faith was launched on success and launched on improvement and launched on, on those kinds of things, then this kind of persecution would be a setback. But its foundation is a cross. So trying to persecute the church with threat of cruelty and death is like putting out a fire by
1: throwing gas on it.
0: You know, even the Apostle Paul said later, he he remarked, I think it's 1 Corinthians 16, where he, he said about Ephesus, and he was talking to some friends about going there, and he said, he said uh, I want to go to Ephesus because there is a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries much opposition. You know, I want to say what which is it Paul? Is it is there a wide door of opportunity for the gospel here or is there a lot of opposition? Paul says yes. God's at work in all things. In your life, the pushback, the ostracism, the resentment that you experience for your faith are the means, the very means, that God uses to advance the gospel. Second, God's kingdom is advanced, and I find this so encouraging, by ordinary people. Ordinary people who've been transformed by the love of God. This story focuses on Philip, but if you, on Philip, but if you notice there, it says, therefore those who had been scattered about went about preaching the word. So it's not just Philip. This was Christians that were driven out of Jerusalem. Nameless, faceless, without notoriety, without any special training, without any charisma. All that had happened is that they loved Jesus. Now we... If you're like me, think that great endeavors require special skills, special power, special ability, you know, some kinds of of, of training or things like that. Think about the SEALs. You know, when they do some of these fantastic rescue missions and things like that that they do, they go through years and years and years of training. So that they're qualified, so that they're ready, so that they're able to do this fantastic thing. If it's rescue people or if it's to do some kind of black ops, you know, covert operation, something like that. But that's not what God uses. God uses ordinary people who are in love with Jesus. That's their only qualification. Philip was an apostle. He says that, I mean, he just kind of shows up. It does say that he was full of the Holy Spirit, but every Christian has the ability and can be filled with the Holy Spirit because it's not who we are and what we can do, but who God is and what he does through us. And more than that, God delights in using the ordinary or even the subordinary to accomplish his purpose. He's not looking for stars, but for faithful obedience. Why did Philip go down to Samaria? I think that's a good question. It says that Philip went right down there. You know, Jesus' command to the, the apostles... Earlier in, in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he told the apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But he spoke that to the apostles. Why did Philip go down there? He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't there when that was said. Had he been listening to the apostles talking about that? Had he taken what he understood to be God's will in going forward and appropriated that for himself and out of obedience So said, well, I'll go. I'll go to Samaria. One thing that we know about Philip, and we're going to see it this week and and, and next week too, is that he was an obedient guy. He went where God told him to go. And we talk about the manifestation of the Spirit a lot, and we should. How does the Spirit manifest Himself in our lives? I think Philip demonstrates that manifestation of the Spirit is obedience to Jesus and obedience to His will. Well, the kingdom of God, thirdly, advances according to the plan of God. It advances according to the plan of God. And if I was going to make an Old Testament case of this, the person that I would call to the stand about uh, God's kingdom advancing according to God's plan... Would be Jonah. Because you remember, God sent Jonah to the Ninevites. That's where he told him to go. He didn't want to go, but he ended up going there anyway. That was not Jonah's first choice. The Israelites hated the Ninevites, they feared the Ninevites, they despised them. And yet, that was God's plan. And that's how the kingdom advances. We see the same thing here in Samaria. I don't think going to Samaria would have been the the first choice of any natural Jew because the Jews hated the Samaritans. they were prejudiced against them they The Jews thought that uh, the uh, Samaritans were apostates they had in, 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 in their captivity, they had taken on the worship of other gods which they retained. They thought that the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were racially not pure. They're just kind of second class at least. And that they were unclean. It's said by historians that Jews didn't even want to walk through the territory of Samaria because they would carry the dust from that territory back to Israel. Deep hatred. That's where God sends them. Because that's God's plan. Samaria is where Jesus commanded, so Samaria is where the gospel goes. And the kingdom of God, number four, advances by God's love that transcends all barriers. Now, that was incredible to the Jew that God would want his love extended to Samaritans. Because to the Jews, they were despicable. I want to ask you, who in your life is despicable? Come on now.
1: Who would you like to see not come to Jesus? Who in your mind is not deserving? I'm going to go
0: out on a limb here a little bit. Is it someone whose politics differ from yours? Is it someone that maybe is what you consider despicable, a drug dealer, a sex offender, but God wants His love extended to every creature and the only way that that can happen is if we ourselves are overcome by the love of Jesus. If our prejudices and our hatreds that we carry are overpowered by the love of God in Christ Jesus. I remember seeing, um, oh, you probably did too on TV back in March, I think it was 2000, anyway, March 2011, when the tsunami came and breached that wall, that barrier in Japan and hit that power plant, the Fukushima power plant. Do you remember what that looked like? There was a barrier there. It looked huge. It was impressive till you saw that wave and the barriers that we've erected in our lives against others are huge but the tsunami of God's love car- breaches it easily and i remember that you watching that thing you did too you know you saw buses and ships and it, it didn't matter what was in the way it went over the top you see God's love and in, 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 in the advancement of his kingdom is, is not like a canal, you know, like the Deschutes when it gets north of, of, of Bend there where they kind of open this gate and shoot it over there and over there and like that and direct it kind of where they want it. It's a tsunami. It's a tsunami that crosses all the barriers and transcends it. God's kingdom, number five, advances by the preaching of Christ. It says in verse 4 that they went down there preaching the word. Gospeling is literally what, what what it says. And that Philip preached Christ. Now, again, in Samaria, there was a contentious argument that raged for centuries between the Jews and the Samaritans. The, and, and this was a subject that they loved to hate each other over. Because they were different. It divided them. And the question was this. Where did God command worship? Was it Mount Gerizim in Samaria? Or was it Mount Zion in Jerusalem? And if you remember, back in John chapter 4, at the woman at the well, when Jesus spoke with her, this woman brought this up immediately when she perceived that Jesus was a prophet. She says, well, you know, what about this whole question of worship? And he and tried to draw Jesus into that, but he didn't take the bait. And he, and he directed the conversation back to her need for a Savior. Like Jesus, Philip didn't take that bait either because you can be sure that was on the minds of those that he went to preach to in Samaria. That was the issue that divided them. But we are prone to get off message. Many of us engage our culture, especially those that we disagree with about politics. It's that ripe, hot button, the go-to issue that divides us. And the result is usually angry frustration on both sides. So I've got a question, actually two or three. Is the greatest need of your hearers to be persuaded of your political point of view? Is that where you want to spend your relational capital?
1: Has the Great Commission
0: been replaced by the Great Distraction? Some use social media the same way. And you, you need to know this and you need to think about this because there's many eyes looking at what you post. I'm, I'm not much of a Facebook guy it's just because I'm too lazy more than anything else. But there are many eyes looking at you and forming opinions about you and your God and your gospel and His kingdom and everything else by what they read. What are you engaging the culture around you with? Are you speaking about Christ or carelessly slipping into arguments that don't advance the kingdom at all? The kingdom of God advances by the preaching of Christ. That's the subject. That's what they need to hear. That's what you've been commissioned to share. let easy see off message. Back in 1992, candidate Bill Clinton... A guy with a politician with a lot of baggage from Arkansas had no chance of winning because of all the other things, that, all, all the stuff that was surrounding him that people were attacking him with. And it said that he took lipstick one day and wrote a message to himself and put it on his mirror. And the message said this, It's the economy, stupid. And he just stayed on that message, even though the, all this other stuff and accusations about—we all know about, you know, Bill Clinton—but and all that other stuff. He just stayed on that message. It was a winning message. And our winning message is the message about Christ. It's the message about Christ, friends. The kingdom of God advances to a people he is prepared to receive. He is prepared to receive. It says in verse 6 that with one accord they were giving attention. You know, when men are... There, there are men that when the message goes out, that it penetrates, that it opens. And in Peter's sermon we see that in Acts. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It says that they were pierced to the heart. Later in Acts... When Paul was preaching, it says that that God opened Lydia's heart to Paul's preaching. There are people out there that God has prepared, just like he has prepared us to go with the message. There are people that God has prepared to hear it.
1: They're ready. Nancy and I are
0: aware of a little Asian boy uh, in a, in a, uh, it was a, release time Bible class that this kid had gone to. And he came home with a Bible verse. And his mother, although she was a devout Buddhist, she pasted that on the refrigerator and began to help him learn it and memorize that Bible verse. Because, as a rule, typically, Asians are very interested in all things educational. And so she was going to, You know, make sure that her son learned that just like he learned everything else in school. Well, over the weeks, the verses piled up on that refrigerator. And that refrigerator started preaching to that family. With the result that the whole family got saved. God has a people prepared for his message. God's kingdom advances, I think we need to take note, at the expense of another kingdom, Satan's. In other words, ground gained for the kingdom of God is ground lost for the kingdom of Satan, who is the ruler of this world. And our passage today shows us some characteristics of this other kingdom. And it's representative of the kingdom that we are advancing against. First of all, this other kingdom exalts men. It exalts men. I mean, Simon was the guy, he was the man. But it's not just Simon in Samaria. The, the kingdom of Satan exalts men, it exalts their ability, it exalts their okayness, it exalts their ability to, to help themselves, to re- improve themselves, to redeem themselves. It doesn't matter what part of the, Satan's kingdom you look at, There's it always exalts the ability of man.
1: But the cross doesn't do that. The cross demolishes men. The cross strips men down.
0: The cross humbles men and exalts Jesus and what He has done for us because it's what we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus fulfilled every
1: requirement of God's law because we couldn't. He suffered the wrath of God in our place. And
0: very much unlike the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of God exalts Jesus Christ on the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross,
1: all the vain things I prize,
0: I pour contempt on. The Word said, I pour contempt on all my pride. So the other kingdom exalts men. The other kingdom holds its subjects by deceit and evil power. Simon had Samaria captive. I mean, it says in verse 9, the people were astonished, they were mesmerized, you know, he, uh, he had great popularity there.
1: The kingdom holds its subjects by deceit and evil power.
0: And it's not just in Samaria, and it's not just with Simon. Because 1 John 5 says that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. The whole world but regardless of that this story proves that the power of the gospel is greater the power of the blood of jesus is stronger to deliver men into god's kingdom other thing i think is worth noting as we go by here is that the this evil kingdom is popular with the people that it holds captive it's popular They were all giving attention to Simon, it says, from the smallest to the greatest. He had wide appeal. He was popular. They were calling Simon the great power of God. Can you imagine criminals sitting on death row, content to be there, unaware of what awaits them, and just happy being
1: distracted by magic tricks?
0: That typifies the captivity that the gospel penetrates. Men are in darkness and unaware. Men love darkness, says John. But our gospel advances and reaches into that darkness and distraction and death and brings men to light and life. One last thing. The other kingdom opposes God's kingdom By persecution from the outside and perversion from the inside. Simon, the magician, the text says he believed and was baptized. If the devil can't destroy the church from outside, he'll join it.
1: He'll try to pervert it.
0: The gospel, the gospel that is alone, the power of God to salvation. Because there is one saving gospel and another gospel that doesn't save but condemns. The gospel that saves glorifies Jesus as a substitute, sacrifice. A resurrected Savior who is the goal for our faith, our hope. Now, Simon believed a polluted, perverted gospel. Jesus was not the goal. His power was. Notice in verse 13, it says that Simon was constantly amazed with the signs and miracles. In verse 19, Simon demands this power to bestow the Holy Spirit for money. Simon professed Christ, but he loved power.
1: Simon had power and status, and he saw the gospel. And what comes with it as a means
0: of increasing his power it became a means of self empowerment. Simon is an anatomy of a false profession of faith. Now, in the U.S., as we talk about persecution, and perversion. The U. the U. S. Uh, what? 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 We're, the water that we swim in has largely avoided outright persecution. But in many cases, this country, the churches in this country, have fallen victim to a perverted gospel. Many churches have substituted the cross of Christ. The Lordship of Christ, the glory of Christ, for the gospel of self-advancement and self-empowerment. Instead of being the goal, Jesus has become the means of self-empowerment to get what we want. And Peter shows us when he confronted Simon in the strongest terms. Actually, it's a curse. It's a curse. He said, you perish with your money. Peter shows us that perversion of the gospel has to be exposed and opposed in the strongest terms. There is such a thing as a false profession. In Jesus' ministry, it's, it's, you see it frequently. In John chapter 2, it says there were many of those who believed in Jesus but Jesus wasn't entrusting himself to them because he knew that their belief was not a saving one. That they were not trusting him. In John chapter 6, Jesus even had, after he said some hard words, had some people that called themselves his own disciples that they took off because they didn't like what he was saying. Have you trusted? Put your full weight on Jesus. Is he your Lord, your hope, your prize? and not just the means to something else? Has the cross stripped you down and humbled you to your need of Jesus? Has God shown you any shadows of Simon in your own heart today? Because if he has, I urge you to cry out to God to be merciful, and he will be. Simon didn't do that. He said, you guys pray for me and just pray that none of that bad stuff happens. That's not repentance. That's not a cry for mercy. Now, for us who've been given a commission to take the gospel into the world, this story of the liberation of Samaria, I call it the liberation of Samaria, gives us real solid encouragement The result of the gospel is always much rejoicing. And it says in that city there was much rejoicing because of the advance of God's kingdom there. This is a story of of great encouragement for us because we learn in it that God deliberately chooses to use ordinary folks like you and me. Ordinary is a qualification that I meet. The only qualification is that we love and obey Jesus. And even the persecution this story teaches, even the setback, even the opposition that Satan intends to destroy, God uses to spread and strengthen his kingdom. The barriers of hatred and prejudice are overwhelmed by the tsunami of God's love in the gospel. The good news is that Jesus overpowers darkness and deception. And causes those who were formerly on death row to dance in the streets. Do you know that all the dark won't keep the light from getting through? We do. The gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. You and I have been enlisted into what the Bible calls a triumphant procession with God himself leading the charge. Know that God has prepared a people to hear and receive the message of salvation in Jesus. And they, in turn, will join that procession that can't be stopped and cannot fail. Thanks to God. Lord, we do thank you that your kingdom is advancing. Lord, you're doing it. And you do it through the gospel. And so, Father, we we pray that you'd give us eyes of faith, Lord, to understand that you don't work like we do. Your ways are not our ways. And you are advancing your kingdom. And you do use us. So help us, Lord, to love you and to trust you and obey you. Father, we do want to see it all made new. And this is your plan. You're taking new turf every day and and there's turf, Lord, around us that you want to use us to conquer for your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you gave your Son for us, and that you want to use us. That's humbling. We thank you and exalt you today. In Jesus' name, amen.